Welcome to the Healing Grove Podcast. I'm Dr. Kristen Ryman, an integrative holistic family physician, author of Life After Lyme, and host in this virtual space of learning, healing, and growing. I believe humans are like trees, and our physical limb is only one of many. Health on all limbs of the tree, emotional, conceptual, social, spiritual, is absolutely required for the whole tree that is you to be vibrantly well. I created the Healing Grove podcast as a place to showcase some of the world's best integrative and holistic medicine, to expose you to transformative tools and mindset shifts for all limbs of your tree. I hope you enjoy our conversation in the Healing Grove today as much as I enjoyed having it. So everyone, welcome. Uber excited to introduce you to my dear friend, Rob Aptaker, who you see in purple. Um, I'll tell you a tiny bit about how I met Rob and then I'll let Rob take it from there because he's such a great storyteller. I don't want to take up too much time. So Rob and I met like 10 years ago when several people in our area, the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania came together to discuss three things and the possibility of creating three things. And those three things were holistic health center, an organic biodynamic farm and intentional community. And I was part of the um, Holistic Health Center group and Rob was part of the Intentional Community group. And I guess he'd be talk- he'd, he'd been talking with several friends for years about intentional community and what that might look like. And so this group of these groups of people kind of came together and we decided to meet in an ongoing way over about a year, right? We were doing like those big groups for about a year um, back in 2012, I think. Um, and we, we got our sites focused on a piece of land and we all decided we might want to buy that land and start creating and manifesting this vision together. And then we realized the land cost like $3 million. And then we realized that none of us had $3 million <laughs> and then it all kind of fell apart, but not totally because a handful of people kept meeting and that handful included me and included Rob. And we kept meeting because we had found that to be a really positive I mean, I'll speak for myself. I found it to be really inspiring to be with people who were kind of looking to change the world for the better. And the individuals were all interesting and fascinating and very present. And um, Rob kind of epitomizes all of those things. So I really wanted him to come speak to you guys because um, he's engaged in a lot of practices in in, in my local area, the Lehigh Valley, that help people connect to their authentic selves, to their deeper sense of purpose. Um, and I'll let him tell you all about that, but I'm so excited that you're here, Rob. Thanks for saying yes. Finally, it took you a while to say yes. So I'll, I'll give it to you now and let you introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit more about how you came to be where you are on your path. Hello, everybody. Um, it, in uh, talking about ceremony and ritual, uh, it helps me to get in a place like that. So before I talk about me, I'm going to take just a moment to connect and I don't expect all of you to go there with me. My sense is that when you first meet somebody, you may not have the trust uh, in them to do a ritual or a ceremonial activity with them, but I'm going to trust you enough that um, I'm going to say a little prayer at this time so that things will go as well as they can. I'll keep it brief. Spirit, thank you for bringing us together today. Um, Thank you for each person who's in this uh, virtual room. I'm asking at this time that Um, I can be open so that I can hear what people need to hear, not just what I want to say. Uh, I ask to move my big ego needs out of the way and be present and useful. And I'm thankful uh, for life and for everyone who's agreed to come and be here with us today. Thank you. 
Okay, I'm about as ready as I know how to be. Um, so I have so much wisdom coming at you today, you won't believe it. And uh, it's not because I'm particularly wise, it's because I have a really good memory and I've learned from a lot of really wise people. So it's gonna be a bit of overload because I've got so much information packed in his head and some of it I've even been able to live so I can speak some of it from an authentic place. Um, I think the only things I really wanna say about my background that Kristen didn't already put in the intro are that um, I didn't start out understanding about spirit or spirituality at all in my life. And I was a pretty rough person in a lot of ways. And I was raised in a family that was non-religious, um, even though we were uh, Reformed Jewish. And at the, at the beginning of my spiritual journey, I might have thought that that was a deficit. But actually, it's done an interesting thing for me because I was raised by kind of secular humanists. I can look at the ceremonial and ritual things from a very rational, almost anthropological point of view. And at the same time, I've had uh, mystical experiences and been privy to wonderful ceremonies. And as a result, I've been in the ecstatic and sometimes the very uh, difficult and challenging state of, of working through ceremonies. And I think it's important uh, to say that because when we talk about spirituality, sometimes we all like the really high place. We really like the beautiful place. And I like it too, but I do most of my work in the everyday reality. And the ceremonies are uh, kind of where I, I kick it into gear, where I, where I set the intention for that. And I do the work in my everyday life. And I'm always suspicious of people who are always spiritual all the time. Uh, it feels to me inauthentic and it feels to me like they're uh, ignoring their shadow and maybe they're ignoring their profane side as well. So I think that's all I want to say about my background right now, because I really want to get into talking about ceremony and ritual. So, um, and we may try later on, we may try a ceremonial activity. Um, when Kristen first invited me to do this, I argued with her a lot. And one of the senses I had is that you couldn't do these kinds of things on online. And I don't believe that now. I think that we can do something even if we can't do what I might like to do. And uh, more than that, uh, people are hungry for this and in the COVID times in particular. So I'm gonna be a little anthropological right now. And then I'm gonna tell a little bit of a, a story, a little bit of a teaching. So the reason I think ceremony and ritual are important uh, is because they have an amazing power to do two things at the same time. One is that they can reinforce who we are and what our real identity is. And the other thing they can do is they can springboard us and help us move into new ways of being, connecting with divine, connecting with self. And that's uh, paradoxical if you think about it, that it can both reinforce how we already are and move us forward. Um, there is a danger, uh, particularly in what I call religiosity, of getting too much of the former, which is reinforcing over and over again what we already believe and who we already are. And so good ceremony, and I'll use terms like good and bad here and get, get used to it, good ceremony can both reinforce our basic identity and our basic sense of who we are and also help us move into new new ways of being and also new ways of connecting with i'll say spirit you can say god you can say your get guides or your angels it, it doesn't matter to me what term i use so that's 
particularly for personal ceremony, and I'll make some distinctions, that's how I see the value of ceremony. Community ceremony does some additional things, which you're probably already familiar with. And I don't, I don't want to act like I'm the only one who knows about these things, but since I've been invited to talk about my experience, I'll go from there. Community ceremony has additional potential benefits for connection and for uh, learning and, and for experiencing spirit um, as a group rather than an individual. And I might talk about those distinctions in a minute, but I promised you a little bit of a story. And this isn't a whole story, but it's part of a teaching from the Ani Anwia, more commonly known as the Cherokee people. And I've been fortunate to have spent seven or eight years doing uh, Cherokee-based ceremonies very, very uh, life-changing ceremonies for me. And one of the teachings says that at the beginning of time, when all the creatures were given their great species gift, and we can think about the species gift, that mosquito that knows how to smell blood and go find it, and that through that they're able to live. And then the other animals who know how to make a nest when they just know how you know, the creator or the creative power, whatever you want to say, gave them the ability to do what they needed to survive. We were given our great species gift too. And nowadays it's called the cerebral cortex, but in the Cherokee story, it's not called that. And it was the ability to make decisions and to do more than what our instinct tells us to do. And that's our great species gift. One of the things that allows us to do is make multiple decisions and be creative. The other thing it allows us to do is lie and even do things that are bad for ourselves and others. So they say that when they gave us our great species gift, it was too much for us. It drove us crazy. It actually split us into two parts, our heart and our dark creature. And when the spirit saw how difficult it was for us to live with this new gift, they had pity on us and they gave us ceremony. And ceremonies were intended to help us to unite our heart and our dark creature and bring ourselves into a state of wholeness. And that works for me because without ceremony, sometimes my dark creature rules me. And without ceremony, sometimes my heart is really lost and forlorn. So um, that's, that's for me what ceremony does. It helps me learn how to live in, in this human body. Uh, in this world that we're in. So um, I, I titled this talk Ritual and Ceremony because there are the smallest and simplest of ceremonies we can do. You know, uh, some of you take a few minutes in the morning to make a cup of tea with a lot of um, care and you give yourself a few minutes and you frame yourself for the day, or maybe you do yoga, or maybe you do meditation, or maybe you greet the sun. Um, these rituals, particularly ones that we repeat, are very, very useful for centering ourselves um, and what the two elements that I think are most important in ritual and ceremony are attention and intention. You want to write anything down? <laughs> write down attention and intention. So what separates ceremony from ordinary reality? And like I say, I, I love ordinary reality. One of the things we're taught is that our ceremonies are to help us practice how we want to be in everyday reality. So this separation that I'm talking about is actually an artificial separation, but we'll work with it because we perceive it pretty often. So attention and intention. Any time that I stop and focus and have a reason 
for what I'm doing and pay close attention to it, I could be said to be in ceremony. And that's why meditation qualifies. That's why making a thoughtful cup of tea qualifies. And to go back to the Cherokee teachings again, because those anchor a lot of the ways I think about things, the Cherokee recognize four forms of ceremony, personal ceremony, family ceremony, community ceremony, and nation ceremony. Now in modern America, most of our nation ceremonies are pretty, they're, they're not real deep. July 4th, Memorial Day, most of those, my judgment is that they're, they've become pretty, um, so they, they don't have a lot of juice in them. And to some degree, Christmas has uh, been subject to that too. Those, I think as, as family ceremony, Christmas is often probably really strong and as community ceremony, it's probably really strong, but as nation ceremony, it's not. So let me, let me talk about that. Of the four levels of ceremony, personal ceremony is that which you do by yourself, obviously. And my teacher said that it's actually the most important one of the four. Uh, family ceremony, um, and the reason that it's more important than family, than family ceremony, my judgment is that it's foundational, is we have to connect with ourselves and we have to take care of ourselves. And then family ceremony, and family is any way you define it. And I really wanna make that clear because biological family is sometimes a wonderful supportive place and sometimes it's not even a safe place. So family ceremony is who you make family with. I have two ritually adopted relatives and they know me better than some of my biological family who love me. My, I'm lucky I've got a loving biological family, but they don't know me the way my adopted relatives do. So family, any way that you make family. And then community, and again, Kristen was talking about it, but anyway, we define community and the Cherokee used to do nation ceremonies. They used to have a seventh year ceremony called the ELO, where the dreamers would come together and share their dreams and formulate uh, a sense of what was going to come and how to act in the next seven years. We don't have a unified uh, nation like the Cherokee had in um, the pre-colonial days. And so I'm not gonna talk as much about nation ceremony, but personal, family and community are ones I think we can relate to as contemporary Americans. And, and by the way, let me do one other caveat. I think I'm going to do more caveats than teaching here. But um, even though the things I'm talking about, these come from a specific uh, Native nation, I'm really looking at what ceremonies we as contemporary people can participate in. And to say a little bit more about that, and then I'm going to pause again. Some of our ceremonies are more psychological and more talky than some of the, when I participated with native people, sometimes there's only singing and praying and there's not a lot of explanation. And sometimes there's, there's, there are actions, we, we do um, physical actions or we, we interact with, with uh, sacred materials and there's a lot less talking. Uh, contemporary people, particularly people who haven't been raised with spiritual traditions often need a little more framing, a little more conversation. And uh, I don't think that ancient ceremonies always serve us. In fact, I'll talk a little later if we get a chance about when the ceremony served the people as opposed to people serving the ceremony. Uh, at that point, it becomes reenactment or it becomes, um, it becomes rote. Um, there's a, I'll say a little bit about uh, 
it's hard to very very hard to generalize about Native American people in ceremony because there's the full continuum of Native people who do their ceremonies privately and don't invite anybody. In some cases, don't even invite Natives from other nation, other Native nations, and some Native people have been incredibly welcoming and wanting to join the community of nations and want their spirituality to be um, shared and recognized. And that's a continuum everywhere in between, including some Native people who opened their ceremonies and then closed them because they weren't comfortable with how things were being done. So I was really lucky 45 years ago. I went looking for a spiritual leader. I had read a book about uh, John Pope Rolling Thunder. You may, you may find the book Rolling Thunder by Doug Boyd. I went and found him and his community and did ceremony and lived in that community for a couple of years off and on when I was a young guy trying to get away from going to college. <laughs> um, well, at least that's what I did. I don't know if I was trying to get away or not. Well, what I was really doing, I'm, I'm being sarcastic about myself, is um, I was seeking spirit. I'd had a dream when I was a teenager that was different than anything that I had experienced in my family and that uh, awakened the spiritual hunger that was connected uh, already to my innate love of nature. I, from the youngest childhood, I'd always, always gone to nature and was kind of the odd bird in my family. They thought it was nice, but they didn't get it. And um, that led me to Native people who, um, in my nascent understanding, were the people who understood about nature and understood about spirit. And for me, that worked really well. So I'll say about that much about that. So I want to take a, a little risk here and I, I want to try something and I want to see if we're, I talked about how I think it's really hard to do ceremony with people when they, they have to trust you first. So I've talked a little bit about some of my experience and some of what I believe and some of what I know. And um, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit about how ceremonies often go, some of the rhythm that's necessary to be in ceremonial space. And then I'm going to invite everybody to try just a little something to see if we can get a little bit deeper. And um, it's a risk, but it, it might be fun. So um, ceremonies have a structure, and this is where I'm going to get a little anthropological. And no, none of my Native teachers ever said any of this stuff. They just do ceremony. <laughs> so it's a little odd to do it. But as I said, I come from two traditions, a thinking tradition and a spiritual uh, approach. And I think they both have value. So usually when people come into ceremonial space together, there's a little bit of, um, there's a fancy word for it, phatic communion. And that's just when you say, hi, how are you doing? And you check in and how are your kids? And what's that you're wearing? Oh, did you make that? That's gorgeous. And everybody just kind of connects a little bit. If you're doing community ceremony, if you don't do that first, if the leader says, everybody circle up, close your eyes and visualize, you're not, you're not there yet you haven't arrived and you're not comfortable and you're not safe. So people usually, if you're doing an even family ceremony, it's the same thing. There's a little bit of, I'll give you an image. Um, beavers, uh, when they're in their beaver lodge, it's, it's pitch dark. You know, they built this thing that's completely dark. And the way they communicate with each other is they touch each other with their paws and with the tips of their noses and they, they breathe into each other. And uh, they have this kind of way of everybody's, you know, they can't see each other, so everybody feels each other a little bit. As humans, we do that too. Uh, these days, nobody's breathing into anybody's nose, I know, but, but we, we kind of reach out to feel each other a little bit. And if we don't get a chance to do that first, if we try to do something that's 
opens us or is emotional or um, puts, uh, asks us to um, extend ourselves a little bit, we're usually not ready. We're usually not safe. So there's a coming together time. And if you're doing ceremony alone, the, what that looks like is you're putting down your cell phone, you're putting down your, the book you were reading or the thing you had to do, and you're, you're spending a minute with yourself. Because if you try to go right into meditation, you try to go right into uh, even burning uh, herbs and blessing yourself or whatever it is, it's, it's kind of sudden. And we don't function very well that way. So there's a little bit of that. And then if you have a ceremony leader, there's usually somebody who calls everybody together and kind of states an intention or, or says what the next thing is we're going to do and gets everybody on board. And that's when you first start stepping away from that ordinary reality and into sacred space. And then if the ceremony's uh, an effective one, they do something not too extreme, maybe sing a song together, uh, or maybe hold hands or do something to begin connecting. And gradually more and more activities are done that take us deeper. And you know, you're all familiar with the, the things that are used. It's, it can be sacred medicines like herbs and incense. Um, and I don't have experience with uh, the ones where you ingest uh, mind altering ones. I have friends who've used the ayahuasca and have used the mushrooms. My the ceremonies I've always done have not had those uh, agents in them. And I don't speak against them, but but I'll say, and I'm, I'm departing for a minute. I was talking about the structure of ceremony. Let me get back to it. I'm departing for a minute. All the ceremonies I've ever done, I felt safe having my regular consciousness and going there. But also, uh, and this may be a little bit puritanical of me, but I kind of feel like whatever spiritual experiences I have, I earned them by working for them. And if I put something in my body that changes me suddenly. Um, that doesn't feel to me, and I'm not speaking for anybody else here. I want to make that really clear. If you're called to that, you're called to that. To me, it feels like a shortcut. And um, most of, and I'll depart again and say, most of the greatest gifts I've gotten, I've gotten on spiritual fasts, sometimes four days, sometimes three days, sometimes a little less. And the power of those for me has been that I knew that there was nobody but me and spirit there. And when that message came, it was true and it's lasted the rest of my life. And I've done 13 or 14 supervised spiritual fasts, you know, where a guide helped me to do it. And then I was alone with spirit and, my, and myself. And nobody can take away from me the gifts I received in those places and times because I worked for them and because spirit gave them directly to me. And that can be the case in any ceremony. Um, I find that if I work for it, um, you know, they say that if you take a step toward spirit, mm -hmm. spirit takes three steps mm -hmm. toward you. And so I've always had uh, the feeling of I have to make, when I talk about intention and attention, um, that attention includes effort sometimes. Uh, that's why some of the ceremonies are, uh, are a, an ordeal. So if you think about a fast or a sweat lodge or the um, we want which you be the Sundance ceremony where people dance in the sun without water and sometimes pierce the flesh. Those are ordeals and um, they take us out of our ordinary reality and uh, fasting in particular, you know, the thinning of the veils, it, it brings us closer to the death world, the spirit world. And these are challenging things that we can do for ourselves sometimes. 
um, and they can have big rewards and they have to be done carefully because they can be physically dangerous. But to go back to structure of ceremony, so once the ceremony deepens and that we use um, the different techniques or the different agents that we use to help us connect, there's usually um, either, either catharsis point in the ceremony of some kind and often what I would call a climax. Um, in that sense, it's a little, I don't want to be obscene, but it's a little bit like sex. And then just like after sex, there's usually a come down period that can be either very, very sudden and harsh or can be very um, warm and positive. And uh, it's really helpful to have time to come down off of a strong experience. And I want to emphasize that if you're having a soul retrieval or if you're having a, a inner child um, connection or anything like that, if you do some of these powerful ceremonies, it's real important to be extremely gentle with the self afterward, make time to come back into your regular self to eat something. A lot of native ceremonies always end with food and so do Jewish ceremonies. And I come from both those traditions and um, it's real important to have something to eat um, after those grounding experiences, after um, ecstatic or even challenging or even, even what I call moderately powerful ceremonies, it's a really good idea to come down slow. You're much more likely to integrate what you experienced during it, and you're much more likely to be safe driving your car <laughs> afterward, um, and also psychically safe. Like if you, if you ever have a powerful ceremony and then you go into a supermarket or a mall, <laughs> It's just crazy. And they're not bad places. I'm not judging them. But if you go suddenly from one to the other, it's really harsh. So after a ceremony, there's a necessary, there's that social buildup at the beginning. There's a big, powerful experience. And then there's the gentle come down afterward. And if you're going to arrange ceremonies, if you're going to devise ceremonies, it's real important to build those elements into them. Um, so I'm going to... Um, I want to emphasize that Native American ceremonies aren't the only way to go. And there's a bunch of different kinds of ceremonies. Like I mentioned soul retrieval, I mentioned contacting the inner child. Um, the, and, and by the way, old existing uh, ritual practices like the reciting of the rosary and certain other things can be incredibly powerful because they have the momentum of many, many people having used them for a long time, they're like a well, a well-worn pathway. Um, and ceremony is an interesting thing because, on one hand, when we break new ground, when we create rituals that are meaningful for us, it's really something, and they can be amazing. And even if old ceremonies are modified, it can be amazing. They have to be modified with care. Um, but already existing mantras and prayers and rituals of movement are incredibly powerful because they have been through time. So many people have done them that there's a pathway to spirit through them. And the only danger with that is when they become rote, when the person using them isn't, isn't even conscious of them, is just saying them or doing them because they're sort of supposed to. And that can also happen in even the most, um, demanding of ceremonies. We can, we can lose our focus, we can lose our attention, but I think it's more likely to happen with the routine ritual ones. And those, um, it's 
really hard to bring ourselves to them in a fresh way every time we do them. And that is the challenge of them. But I, I, if I sound like I've um, in any way diminished um, the Judeo-Christian tradition or any of the, the longstanding religions, there's tremendous power in the, um, the ancient nature of them. Uh, they're, they're spiritually inspired. Some of them may have been a little adulterated through time, but they're, they come they come from a really powerful place and they've endured. And uh, there's a lot to be said for that, which has lasted a long time. So um, let's try something and see if it works. And I'm gonna use a drum uh, to help a little bit. And I'll tell you what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And the song that I'm gonna use with the drum, two men fasted by the Niagaha, what you call the Niagara River. And they both got the same song came to them when they fasted and that's pretty special. When um, when two people have the same thing come to them, so I'm gonna I'll show you my drum for a minute. I use this in ceremony a lot, and I'm gonna sing a simple song that repeats, and because it repeats, um, you can catch the tune, and because um, Zoom ruins it if we all sing together, I'll have you mute, but I, I want to welcome you to sing along a little bit. I'm gonna use the drum to kind of get us in. If this song came from the Niagara, the Niagara River, it has some of the power of that river and some of that flow. And, and I'll say two other things about this, which is that so often modern people, we've come to depend on somebody else for our songs. Uh, we've basically, if we're not an expert, we don't think we can sing. You know, communities used to sing all the, people used to get together and sing all the time. And nowadays, because we have all these experts who sing for us. If we don't sing perfectly, it can be a little shy. And um, I think music can be really important in ceremony, especially if people put their voices together. We're taught that the spirits want to hear us sing. There are a whole bunch of songs that were sent by spirit, and the spirits want to hear those songs in order to come to be present. They need them to, br to bring them in. Uh, that's uh, the way we use them in the ceremonies I do, uh, also to bring the people together, because community ceremony, when we put our voices together, uh, it does something special for, for our hearts and our, you know, you can talk about your chakras and all that. Um, so it's real important to claim singing, even people who don't sing well. And I, I, I've gradually gotten better at singing, but I, I was not anything like an accomplished singer. In fact, people used to call my singing, shut up. <laughs> That's what they called my singing when I was younger. Um, so I want to recommend that we reclaim uh, our voices. So I'm going to sing this a little bit and invite you, um, if you feel it, to, to sing along. It's real easy. It has vocables instead of words, so it's pretty easy. Uh, I'll start it. That's a whole thing. Oh, 
take a breath and let it out. And if you feel comfortable doing so, close your eyes. I want to invite you to connect with a part of yourself that we might call the loving self. Think of a person you love a great deal or a pet, an animal, or a place in nature you love to go that you feel really good about. And breathe and connect with the part of you that feels love. And if there's a part of your body where you feel that, you might want to touch that part with your tips of your fingers for a second. Just connect with your loving part. And when you've done that, I want you to think about the goofy part of yourself, the part of you that likes to play and have fun and fool around and say and do ridiculous things. And that part is sacred. If there's a certain part of yourself that you connect with that goofy part, for me, I kind of feel it in my belly sometimes where the belly laugh is. Take a moment and touch the place where you get silly and goofy and funny and take a breath and connect with that. And when you've had a chance to find your funny part, your funny bone, connect with your sacred wound. Think about or feel into the thing that hurt you in your life that moved you and pushed you toward spirit or toward healing or toward growing, becoming more whole. Wherever you feel your wound, take a moment to connect. And breathe into your wound. Touch if you want to touch it with your fingers, wherever that is. And now, I know some of you are still at the wound. I'll give you a little longer. I can feel that. And now, connect with who you came to be in this world. Connect, we sometimes say our highest self. Connect with who you came to be. Maybe you have a mission in life that you've come to understand. You're here to do a certain thing, or you are a certain way, and you personify that in the world. Take a moment to breathe, and I have to do this too because I've been talking, and I really want to go to that place for a second. Connect with who you came to be in this world where those parts we just talked about kind of integrate. Take a minute to connect with who you came to be. And breathe into that. And if you Take a minute to smile and congratulate yourself for having participated in this. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. To everybody who went there with me, thank you for trusting me. Uh, I was going to, I want to say a couple other things. And one is that uh, a lot of modern religion is really afraid of the pro profane. 
If you look at some of the ancient religions uh, in Europe, the, there was always this sort of Lord of Misrule stuff. There was a jester, or there was some, there was some kind of license that happened. And I think some of us, when we try to be spiritual, we try harder and harder to be pure and pure and sweet and loving. And when we do that, we forget that we have a, a varied nature, and our nature includes a profane a rough side and also a sexy side and also a funny side. And um, I've seen, uh, when you see these, um, sometimes these uh, ministers suddenly getting caught in these uh, scandals and things like that, what happens a lot of times, that's an energy, it's, it's probably childhood wounding too, but it's also an energetic thing, which is when you try to be holy all the time, there's this other part of the self that will not be denied. And, you know, that, that saying, hug your demons or they'll bite you in the ass. Um, when we see these people fall from high places, it's often because, and gurus too, as they put themselves up so high that they ignore this other thing and it comes and gets them. So um, I like uh, elements of ceremony that are a little bit gritty sometimes and uh, funny. And a lot of Native American ceremonies have clowns and various kinds. And the clowns make fun of the most sacred thing as it's happening. And it's very shocking and it's very liberating. It's very powerful. So as you create your own rituals or as you look for ceremonies, remember that if we're always trying to be in the high spiritual place, that other place will not be denied. It's part of us. And it needs um, what they call it. Other, the anthropological term is structured deviance. I just love that term. I could. Uh, I, I wish I had a card that said structured deviance. Rob Abtaker, structured deviance, because <laughs> we have to have um, we have to have the, that that part. Um, you know, everybody loves the sky, but don't forget the dirt. Um, I want to. I'm going to be off task here for a minute and and jump in and say some stuff. I made notes because I wanted to tell you stuff, and it's not in not in coordination, but I want to say it anyway. One of the things that I was taught is that um, the way our mind works, certain things make it harder to connect spiritually. And um, if you can know about these, maybe as you're creating rituals for yourself or as you're using them, it, it, it'll save you some trouble. One of them is if you have to read something written during a ceremonial activity, it can be a problem because Reading requires looking at symbolic language and interpreting it. And the spirit um, isn't good at following that. And so, for instance, if you want to use a song in a ceremony, it's really great if you can memorize that song and not have to look at the words. In fact, here's my judgment. It would be better to get the words wrong than it would be to look at a page while I was in a ceremony. Because um, the written language, one of the advantages when I go up to fast is that I'm not reading anything for several days. Some people bring a journal when they fast. I don't write anything down until I come back from the fast. Because when I go into symbolic language, that's a two-stage process instead of a, a one-stage process. And to be connected with the inner self or spirit, and they're probably the same thing. And I experience spirit sometimes from the outside. If we use... Um, writing in the middle of it, it can really interrupt it. Um, and I have a friend who says, oh, if you want to avoid that, write with your non-dominant non hand. And you can try that too. Um, if you want to do um, ceremonies for connecting with the inner self or the inner child, you can try that. But in general, I don't like to have the written word as part of anything I do ceremonially if I can help it. That's just a little, a little 
hint for you. Um, images, we, we use them all the time. And bec they, um, because you don't have to interpret from, see, language, because the letters, each individual letter represents a sound instead of a, a meaning. So I imagine like Chinese, where the symbols are actually representative of, of something. Chinese might not be as bad for, for this, but English, because the, the, the sounds are not the direct representation of the thing. The letters represent sounds. It doesn't work, but pictures work fine. That's why so often, um, you know, we've been taught that idolatry is bad in modern times, but so often um, original uh, spiritual paths had physical symbols present. And you might, you know, if you make an altar at your house, you might have pictures on it and you might have objects um, and they can help you to connect directly because they're not, a, they're a direct symbol instead of an indirect symbol. And, you know, I'm 65 and a half years old and I spent most of my life clunking around, really not. I have only come to know who I am in the last five years and know what I'm here for on the planet. And I couldn't say this to you. Kristen couldn't get me to come do this a while ago because I didn't know that I was in alignment with my, with my life mission. And now that I am, it's really hard to say it without sounding like bragging, but it's also the most peaceful um, place I've ever been. And uh, it, took a, it took a lot of time. And, and the, what you would call the detours, I mean, I did some ugly stuff. I wasn't nice to people and uh, I wasn't nice to myself. Um, so let's love and forgive ourselves. What else needs to be said in this conversation? Thank you. Um, you said you'd come back around to sharing and I had something to share. So I'll share now that when we did that, when we got to the wounded, the sacred wound, I instantly went to this spot on my back. That's been really bothering me for over a year on and off. It has currently been bothering me for the last couple of weeks. And even this morning, I was like, not sure I could sit here um, without, you know, rubbing all over it. And after doing that, I, I had like 10 minutes of zero pain and I'm, it's just, it's always interesting to me how our body is always talking for more of an interview. You look at looking for more of a attention and, yeah. and to speak its needs. And so I, I clearly have some more dialoguing to do with that part. So thank you for that, that reminder. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm grateful for you facilitating this group. I'm grateful for the way in which this grove showed up for you and this conversation and just couldn't be happier with, with the, the fact that you, you know, said yes. So thank you. And the other side of that is that Chris, Dr. Kristen Ryman has uh, created this resource that you're all a part of and um, that took intention and attention. And thank you, Kristen. Mm. My pleasure. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healing Grove podcast. If you liked it, please be sure to like and subscribe. And if you want to deepen your experience further, consider grabbing a copy of the Healing Grove playbook. With journal prompts for this podcast and 41 others, it's the perfect place to record your learnings, keep track of the tools you explore, and reflect on your own experience. Finally, it's important to mention that even though I am a doctor, nothing you hear on this podcast, whether from myself or my guests, constitutes medical advice. Any intervention you try should always be discussed with and supervised by a trusted member of your own healing team. 
Thanks for listening and see you next time in the Healing Grove.